Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us today. Here at Skyline, our mission is to engage people to the gospel, connect them to Christ, and empower them to serve. For more information, visit our website at skyline.church. We hope today's message helps you feel engaged, connected, and empowered. Good morning. Glad to have you here today and uh, looking forward to jumping into God's Word here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 again today. And uh, once again, just a reminder, we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life. And so a lot's happening here and a lot of people want a piece of Jesus here in this last week of his life. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like everybody wants a piece of you? right? Uh, maybe everybody wants to, to, to ask you a question. I know my wife feels like this a lot. We got four kids, and uh, she feels like kids only want to ask mom. And so it's mom, 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 mom. She's like, dad's right there. Like, ask dad anything. Just ask him or just figure it out. Just why does everything have to be my decision? And so maybe you felt like that before. And here we are in this last week of Jesus' life, and that's kind of what's going on. Like, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. So a few weeks ago, we talked about how the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they all came to Jesus and they're like, by what authority, Jesus? By what authority are you saying these things, doing these things? By what authority? And then after that, we have another group. We had the Pharisees and the Herodians, which we talked about last week. These, these two groups like never did anything together except try to attack Jesus. And so they come together to, to do that very thing and they wanna know Jesus. Uh, what should we do about taxes? You know, Should we pay him, should we not? They're trying to trick Jesus and Jesus answers them there. And then this week, now who's next up, of course? It's the, the Sadducees. They're the next ones up. They're the next ones coming to Jesus to test him and try to stump him, try to put him in his place. And so let me tell you a little bit about the Sadducees as we begin today. They're very... Wealthy group of Jewish people, very conservative in the sense that they only believed in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If it ain't in there, they don't believe it, right? So it's got to be in there for them to believe it, and if it's not, they don't want to talk about it. And so because of that, they did not believe in things like angels, uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You know, like they believed that, that the bad people afterwards, they would go to a place called Sheol. But, but for the good people, for, for the, the people that love God, uh, that, that was it. Okay, no, nothing after death. And so these people, they come to Jesus. And we're going to read about their interaction with him today. We're going to dig into it a little bit. And, and I'm just going to kind of walk through it little by little here and uh, try to understand what they're asking, why they're asking it and what Jesus has to say in return. So let's look at God's word together, starting in Mark chapter 12. We're gonna look at verse 18, and uh, we're gonna read 18 through 23 first. Uh, Let's read God's word together. It says, And Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses, okay, Moses, the author of the the Pentateuch there, wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So they're using this thing, finding like Deuteronomy 25, it's the Leverite, uh, kind of the the Leverite marriage custom. And uh, they're saying there were, verse 20, seven brothers, Okay, Jesus, follow me here. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. The third, likewise, and the seven, all seven of them did this, left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, 
whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. So let's talk about this for a second. This is kind of like this made-up story that they're coming at Jesus with based upon this uh, custom of the Levite marriage. And it seems like what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it seem like an absolutely ludicrous idea that there would be some life after death. Because if there was some life after death, then, then what would happen in a, in a crazy instance like this? What would happen? Who would she be married to? How would this work? And they believed that God was just way too smart to let a mess like this happen. And so since God's too smart to have a mess like this happen, since the, the Pentateuch doesn't mention anything about this, they conclude there must not be any resurrection. So Jesus comes back to him in verse 24. And he says, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, for anybody who claims to um, have a relationship with God, have some, some form of spirituality, of course, this would be a very uh, pointed statement. Man, you don't know the scriptures. You don't even know the power of God. And like we would be hurt by that. And that's what Jesus calls out to them. Here's what Jesus is saying about the Sadducees in this instance. He's saying, you are thinking the way you think because you do not understand God's word. Like your opinion that you have formed has been misinformed because you're not utilizing God's word. You have no knowledge or proper understanding of what God has said. So that's what Jesus says. It's not this the reason you're wrong because you don't have an understanding of scriptures or the power of God. And I thought about that as I read that, just that one line, I kind of had to like stop in my tracks. I kind of stop and think to myself, like how often in my life am I misinformed or misguided because like the Sadducees here, maybe not on this specific topic, but like the Sadducees, in some area I'm misinformed because I don't have a, a firm, a good, a clear understanding of God's word. And, and so for that reason, I'm misinformed or because I, I don't have an understanding of the power of God. I don't believe that he is as powerful as he is. I wonder how often that we may take the wrong stance on something because our opinion is misinformed because we are not understanding the word of God because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. So Jesus scolds them for, for not understanding the word of God, for not understanding the power of God. He says, this is the problem. They didn't understand what the scriptures had said about the resurrection, and they didn't understand that God had the power to raise the dead. They misunderstood the scriptures, and therefore, they misunderstood God. And here's the thing. If we misunderstand scriptures, it will lead us to misunderstanding God. I see so many people who argue, um, people who are, are not Christians. Now, there are some fairly well-informed atheists out there, but there's a lot of people that I see, especially in the Twitter sphere, who wanna argue and they wanna make these hard stances on why believing in God is so crazy and I, I read their tweets or I hear their quotes and I think, you're just so, you're like misinformed. Like you just don't even, like you're, you're taking a quote out of scripture which you do not understand at all and you're trying to make a theology, a belief about God based upon that and you can't do that. Because you're misinformed, you're misunderstanding who God is. And that happens with each of us. 
if we misunderstand God's word, we will misunderstand who God is, what he is capable of, what he has in store for us. We'll misunderstand all of these things. This is gonna happen so easily. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, it can happen easily uh, when we're told something, when we're told something as a kid, let's say, uh, by a good, God-loving person, and they tell us something about like some, some kind of a, a theo- theological stance, and we grow up believing it. Why? Because mama or daddy or, or granny or whoever, they told us that. And they're such a great person, we look up to them, and so it has to be, has to be right. And so we grow up believing it, even though it's not true. Let me give you an example of that specifically. Um, like some people, they, they say, well-meaning people, right? They say things like, well, you know, somebody passes away. Well, they got, they're, in heaven, they're in heaven now. They're an angel now, right? They're, they got their wings. You know, we think like every time a, a bell rings, an angel gets the wings, right? That's, you have the theology of it's a wonderful life. That's not biblical theology. Like, that's, not how it, that's not how it works, okay? After we, after we die, we, we don't jump up in heaven, get a white robe and, and wings on our back and fly around and sit on clouds and shoot arrows and stuff. That's, that's just not how it works. Um, there are angels and then there are, are people who go to heaven and then that's what we get to be. Uh, another reason that we get misinformed another way is uh, we get persuaded um, by fine talk. We get persuaded by opinions that seem to make rational sense from an earthly mindset. So, so somebody is very well spoken and then they share with us and we, and we listen to them and we say, well, that makes sense. That makes sense that that person should be able to do that or that I should be able to say that or we should be able to do this, go there, whatever. That makes sense because you've, you've kind of said it in a way that I understand it and I'm like, oh yeah, rationally that makes sense. And so because it makes sense in this earthly mindset, we don't challenge it against the word of God. We don't say, well, what, what, what does God's word say about this? Like, does God's word speak to this at all? I know that sounds good, but what does God's word say? The thing is, if we misunderstand scriptures, we will misunderstand who God is. We'll misunderstand what he has for us. And the problem is, if we misunderstand God, it has several different problems. We won't trust him if we misunderstand God. Uh, We won't trust him as we should. We won't believe he can do what he's promised he can do if we don't understand scriptures. We will sin against him if we don't understand. We will live these tiny, doubt-filled lives if we don't understand scripture and understand God. But most importantly, listen, most importantly, we will miss opportunities to be in the presence of God if we don't understand scriptures and the power of God. We'll miss opportunities just to be in the presence of God. Of God. That's the beauty of heaven, right? That's the beauty of, of what's next is, is the opportunity to be fully, holy, always in the presence of God. Unable to be understood in many ways, but that's what's going to be beautiful about it. Now, here's, here's why, why I say this. Think about the Sadducees here. The Sadducees misinformed about Scripture, and for that reason, while they're in the presence of God, they're not embracing it. Instead, they're arguing with him. They're arguing with the Son of God himself because they don't understand Scripture. They don't understand he's the Messiah, the one who's promised to come. And so instead of being in the presence of God, they're arguing with him. And I don't want us to miss opportunities. I don't want to miss opportunities, right, to be in the presence of God because I misunderstand Scripture, misunderstand the Word of God and the power of God. So our opinions, they must be informed. They must be informed by the Word of God. 
So we're to be informed by the word of God and reformed by the power of God. Informed by the word of God, reformed by the power of God. See, here's the thing. As we learn, as we understand the word of God, we continually learn more about who he is, uh, about the character of God, about the power of God. And as we understand all these things, it is a lifelong journey for us. Like it's a journey that we're on. That's the life of a disciple, of a follower of Christ. Now, we, we want to make disciples here at Skyline Church. We want you to be a disciple. That means a student, a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the primary goal, that we would help cultivate disciples so that you would be a fully functioning follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the life of a disciple is not like, boom, I made a decision, I did it, I graduated, you know, I got the cap gown and the tassel. No, uh, the life of a disciple is a lifelong journey. Like we're always growing, we're always learning, we're always uh, uh, changing in a sense, re- being reformed by the word of God. It changes how we think, it changes how we live, it changes how we speak, it changes how we react to people, it changes us, but it also changes how we see God. It also changes our understanding of, of who he is. And if you talk to somebody who has been along in the, the faith journey longer than you, you'll see that, that perhaps that they have a more refined, a more mature view of God. Not because they're smarter, not because they uh, have a higher IQ, but simply because they've been walking with the Lord longer. They have the wealth of experiences to draw from, to look back on, to say, I know how God showed up here. I know how he proved faithful there. Like we understand this and it changes us. It changes how we view ourselves, but it also changes how we view God. See, my understanding of who God is, my understanding of God's word is not the same as when I was seven. It's not the same as when I was 17. It's not the same as when I was 27. It continues to develop because as we grow to understand him, we understand his word, we understand who he is, and as we faithfully follow him, we begin to see him more and more just for who he truly is. It's who he always has been, but we we weren't able to see it, but it's who he truly is. So your understanding of God's word is going to change your understanding of God. And and your understanding of God is going to be limited by your understanding of God's word. And so we must seek to understand it. In his blog, Paul Madsen shared that our view of God, it is the inverse of our view of most things. So like most things as a child, you think about most things in your life and you think about, uh, you, look at, you think about your room, you think about your house, you think about your parents, you think about your car, you think about your school, and you're like, man, those places were huge. As a child, I looked at it and I was like, those places, those are huge buildings, those are huge rooms. My parents are so big and tall, right? We think huge. Then as we grow up, if we go back to those same people, those same places, what do we think? Well, that seems a lot smaller than it used to be, right? That's not as big as it was. I, mean, I thought this was much bigger. It was, you know, we take our kids there, and I want to show my kids things that I grew up watching. I'm like, well, that's not as cool as I, I remembered it, you know, as a, as a five-year-old. Um, most things, that's how it works. As we grow bigger, our view of those things grows smaller. But with God, it's actually the inverse. As we grow bigger in our faith, our view of of God, our understanding of who God is, it grows bigger still. 
It's best illustrated in a book by C.S. Lewis, uh, Prince Caspian. And uh, Lucy, in this story, the young Lucy, she encounters Aslan, who is, uh, Aslan's the Lion King, and he is the, uh, the hero, he's the, the Christ figure in this story, and she encounters him, he had been gone for a while, and she comes in, and I'm just going to read you just a short little uh, snippet of this book. She said, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and he just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her and she gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year that we grow in our faith, every year that we grow in our understanding of God's word, every year that we grow, we'll see God more and more for who he truly is. Not because he has gotten bigger, not because he has grown, but simply our understanding of who he is has been enlarged. What changes is in us, in our ability to see him for who he truly is. And as you know his word, you'll know him for who he truly is. All right, let's continue on in the story. Verse 24. So they, they give this big illustration, seven husbands and the wife, who's she going to be married to? And this is Jesus' reply. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong because you neither know scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are, are like angels. They're not angels. They're like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am, not I was, but I am presently the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but he's God of the living. You are quite wrong. So real quick, three post-resurrection truths that Jesus gives to the Sadducees here. Number one, he says there's going to be a resurrection. So he's saying, you guys are wrong. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a time where back, woof. Uh, and he references this, this passage that they would have been familiar with in, in the Pentateuch when uh, Moses encounters the burning bush and God says to him, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I am the God of Abraham. Not I was, but I am currently still the God of of those men. So that's the first truth. There will be a resurrection. The second one, there will not be marriage as we know it. So he answered their question quickly. And then thirdly, he says, we will be like angels, like them in the sense that that we won't marry, like them in the sense that we won't die, like them. And he gives us a little understanding of what heaven will be. But most people, I think, we read that text and something jumps out to us, right? If you're married, especially, it jumps out to you. You're like, wait a second. We're not going to be married. We're not going to be given in marriage in heaven. That's a big deal to some people. And uh, take note, though. I want you to take note of something. He does not say that we won't recognize our spouse or our loved one. What he's simply pointing out is that the same physical and natural roles that apply now 
don't necessarily apply then. Even the most intimate relationship that we can think of, marriage, will be superseded in heaven. That's what, that's what Jesus is pointing about. Look, look, marriage, we think, now that's it. You know, that's, that, that's the goal. I want a happy marriage. It's the most important, intimate relationship that I can have. And so we, we put it up on this pedestal as we should. It's great. It's a perfect illustration of, of uh, Christ's love for us as, as a husband and the wife. But listen, even that relationship, Jesus says, is gonna be superseded in heaven. There's something better than what we've experienced here yet to be. So it's more important to us now than it will be then. I would say it this way. The resurrection life is incomparable to this life in every way. Like that's one of those things we gotta, we gotta understand God's word, we gotta understand what that means for us. The, the resurrection life, what is to come is incomparable to what we currently experience in every way. Incomparably better, if I can make sure to emphasize that. You see, whenever we try to imagine eternity, heaven, what do, we, what do we do? The danger is that we try to always imagine it using our wishes for an earthly utopia, right? We, we think of things that we love and we say, that's what heaven's gonna be like because we, we wanna illustrate that heaven's gonna be so great. So we think about, well, what do I love? You know, cooing babies everywhere that never cry. That's fantastic. So sweet and precious. Uh, total safety. You know, I never want to be in fear. Uh, I want to be on, on the mountains. I want to be hiking through the mountains. Every, I want to be on the beach and just relaxing. I want there to be shopping malls upon shopping malls. I want there to be endless buffets and I never have to pay. Um, I want a never-ending rotation of football games. It just doesn't stop. I could just watch them all day long. Or maybe we want like never-ending puppy snuggles, right? We have all these different ideas. Like this is my utopia. This is what I want. All of these things. And that's what heaven will be. So we try to take those things that give us the greatest joy, add them together, multiply them, and that will create our utopia. However, if we dig a little deeper, we got to understand and realize this truth that the things that give us the greatest joy in this life do not compare to the joy that we will experience in the fullness of the presence of God. The things that, that we look at now and we say, that makes me so happy. That thing that makes you so happy does not compare to the joy and the fullness that we will feel in the presence of God. We have to understand this. We gotta believe this. We gotta know this. So I thought about it like this. I thought, like, guys, listen. I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there will be football in heaven, okay? I don't, I don't know uh, if there will be. But I do know this. I do know that you won't need to watch it or even play it to be completely fulfilled and more joyful than you've ever been. I don't know if there will be dogs in heaven. Pretty sure there won't be cats. But I don't know about dogs. I'm just kidding. I don't know why I said that. That was for, that was for a cheap laugh. I like cats. I don't have any, but I like them. Uh, I don't know if there will be dogs in heaven. But I know that you won't need a dog in heaven to be completely fulfilled and more joyful than you've ever been. Let's bring it home, okay? 
I don't know if my wife and I will share a mansion in heaven. I selfishly hope so, right? But I do know that we won't have to share a mansion in heaven for both of us to be more fulfilled and more joyful than we've ever been on this side of heaven. We try to understand heaven in earthly terms. And whenever we do that, we think of our earthly utopia, we think of our family, we think of the things that give us the most joy and the things that we love the most in this life. And it makes sense that we would do that because that's our frame of reference, right? That's what we have to work with here on earth. But we have to believe this, that heaven is in many ways unable to be understood. As, as Christians, I think we have to, to come to a point where we're, we realize this. There's some things that we can know, but there's a lot that we don't. And heaven is in many ways unable to be understood. I'd like to illustrate it like this. Imagine that you traveled to Antarctica. And you get to Antarctica, and you find, and you come upon somebody in Antarctica who has never, never left Antarctica, never had any socialization with anybody outside of Antarctica. They had never been anywhere else. All they know, all they've seen, all they've experienced is Antarctica. Right there. That's it. And so imagine you come upon this person, and you're like, man, have you ever been to a tropical beach? And they'd be like, what? Like a tropical beach. Like, you mean like that glacier over there that has a view of the water that's also filled with ice? No, no, no. Like a tropical beach, like where there's like sand that's like real warm when you stick your foot in it and like it feels so good. You know, you just want to bury your feet in it and rest. And like the sun is like, it's like warm. And so sometimes you got to sit in the shade and there's like palm trees. And maybe you're on a hammock and you're just swinging back and forth under between these palm trees. And, and you've got, uh, you've got, the water and the waves and the sound of them, them crashing. And then there's, there's like birds that are tropical. They're so pretty and they got so many colors. And there's these fish that are so beautiful too. Like, you know what I'm talking about? And they'd be like, they wouldn't have a clue. They, they wouldn't have an idea. They, they wouldn't even be able to, even if you drew them a picture, they wouldn't be able to comprehend what you were saying. Because their frame of reference is so limited by their current experience. And so even if, and we do have a picture of it here in, in Scripture, but, but even if like, we saw like, an illustrated Bible that God gave us, right, the pictures and everything, we would look at it and we would try to understand it, but we would we'd still misunderstand it because our frame of reference is so limited by what we see and what we understand in this life. And so just like that man in Antarctica could not fathom the beauty of a tropical beach in many ways it's just like that for us as we try to imagine heaven from such an earthly perspective and so while heaven is in many ways unable to be understood it's important to realize that heaven is in every way better than you can imagine better than we can fathom better than we could ever dream of. That's what heaven is. You see, we often focus on, when we get to heaven, having this new glorified body. And we look at that and we think, man, that'd be so fantastic. I won't have to wear my contacts anymore. I won't have these achy old knees anymore. Like, I'll feel the best I've ever felt. Like, all true, great things. Yes, I look forward to that as well. 
But let us not forget that in heaven we also have this new glorified mind which enables us not to be limited by our earthly perspective, which allows us to see what is true and what is right and what is just, that allows us to see God for who he truly is, not limited by our own mind. We'll think clearer than we've ever thought. We will see God for who he truly is. We will put God in his proper place. We won't be distracted by those things which we're, right now we're like, man, I hope heaven has this. And if heaven doesn't have that, I don't want to go. We're so distracted by the things of this world. We won't be distracted then. And we'll understand this right here. Whatever is there, just the presence of God is all. That's all that I need. That's all that I want. That's all that I desire. And so at that point, we'll have this full understanding of what truly matters. And we'll have a full understanding of the, the truly majestic glory and perfection that is our Lord. I want, I want everybody to be there, right? I want everybody to experience that. I want everybody to be a part of what God has planned for those who faithfully serve and love him. For all of those who trust in Jesus Christ, I want everybody to be there. But scripture is really clear that there's only one way. And like Christians, this isn't the place for us to be wishy-washy. This isn't the place for us to be a little fickle about who gets to go to heaven. Jesus is really clear. We don't, we don't get to be fickle about it. Jesus is clear that, that there's only one way. It's through him. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. We've got to surrender ourselves to him. We've got to believe that he is the son of God, that he died for my sins, that I had sins that need died for, right, paid for. We got to believe those things and submit our lives to him. We got to believe that he rose from the dead so that we too might one day rise. I hope that you believe that. And if you don't today, I pray that today's the day that you believe that. Today's the day you submit your life to God. Today's the day you surrender to him. Today's the day that you put your trust in the Lord and you walk confidently throughout the rest of this life knowing what God has in store for you. If Jesus came back today, if Jesus came back today, I know this. I know that we would need to be ready today. And I also know something else. I know that we wouldn't argue about semantics tomorrow. A lot of people want to argue. I, I assume I'll probably get questions after the message today. Jeff, are you premillennialist, postmillennialist, amillennialist? You know, what is your view of the end times and everything? Listen, I'm going to be crystal clear with you. If Jesus came back today, I know we would need to be ready today. I know we don't know when Jesus is coming back, and I know that we need to be ready for that time. And I know that the day after he comes back, we're not going to be sitting around arguing about pre, post, a, whatever. I know we need to be ready today. I know we need to have our hearts in the right place today. I know that we need to understand scripture so we have a true understanding of God today. I know this is where we need to be today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today. Help us today, Lord, from, from the knowledge that we have of your word to have an understanding of who you are, of how you love us, of what you've done for us, 
of what you've sacrificed for us, of what you have planned for us. Lord, help us to understand as fully as we can today who you are and who we are through you. Lord, I pray that if anybody in here today does not know you as their personal Savior, today would be the day they turn their life over to you. Today would be the day that they ask forgiveness of their sins and they repent of those sins and they turn to you to walk in newness of life following you, Lord. And Lord, today I I pray that you give us a little bit of joy, a little bit of excitement about what is to come. Lord, knowing that the suffering and the tragedy and the heartache that we face in these current days will not always be. But we have to look forward to someday when those things are all gone, when there's no more tears and no more fears, no more pain and no more sickness, all those things that grieve us so deeply today, Lord, are removed in your presence. If that's not enough for us, Lord, shame on us. Help us to trust in you this morning. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to take a second to subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date with the newest messages from Skyline Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or donate to any of our missions, please visit our website at skyline.church. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review. Not only does it help us stay connected to you, but also helps others find this podcast. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.